Hi, welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Glad you could be here. My guest this week is Southern Oregon percussionist Teresa McCoy. Teresa's musical path has woven its way from Southern Oregon to Los Angeles and back again. She has studied with top marimba and Latin percussionists and was a session and orchestral musician for about a decade in L.A. In addition to performing on the soundtrack for A Nightmare on Elm Street, she has also performed for the Queen of England. Currently, Teresa is the principal timpanist for the Rogue Valley Symphony and an adjunct professor at the Oregon Center for the Arts at Southern Oregon University. In this conversation, she shares her journey as a musician, tips for sight reading, and how to find joy in all aspects of the musical process. Now, this interview was recorded in late January of 2020. And even though COVID-19 was known by then, none of us knew the extent of what was to come. Teresa and I included. And I'm sad to say the project she talks about launching in the show has been postponed until life gets back to whatever we call normal. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Teresa McCoy. Hey, Teresa. Welcome. Hey, Steve. Thanks for being on the show. Sure. Um, as, I was, as I was coming over and thinking about um, my relationship with you and remembering back to the first time I met you was at Randy Shares' house. Um, and was we were that... doing a rehearsal. Oh, were you there for that? <laughs> and it was, uh, oh, yeah. I don't, it was a Dave Miller on bass and you uh-huh. on drums. And it was like Randy's, I don't know if it was original stuff or, but no. I remember helping you. I was helping you carry your drums in and, <laughs> oh yeah. And um, I do remember that. <laughs> and then, I, so I was thinking about that first experience, which was lovely. And then to now and how. Like if I had, if there was one word, well, it's hard to put one word to describe you. <laughs> I, I think the two words, <laughs> if I were to generally say would be joyful, but also versatile. Mm. Like you're just so versatile in all the things that you do from salsa to symphony to jazz to, uh, you know, there's well, such you. a vast array is that does that reflect as I'm looking around your house <laughs> <that> <laughs> art and everything else? Does that 
reflect into your personal life as well? Do you have like a broad set of interests outside of music as I well? I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, it really, that, uh, that approach to music, the versatility, the, the varied styles that I like to participate in that goes, that's throughout my life. <laughs> like I just am interested in a lot of things mm-hmm. and I'll get really deeply interested in something for a while and just dive deep <laughs> and then, um, on to the next thing mm. and then, you know, come back and revisit. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do that in, in many aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so music. Um, I read a lot. I'm. I study philosophy a bit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and then usually things tie together. Mm-hmm. You know, like at a certain point. You know, if I'm like there was a point when I was um, getting ready to play a Stravinsky piece with a symphony, mm-hmm. and. And we were playing Rite of Spring, and I'd never played the timpani part before. So I just got, I was reading Stravinsky's biography, and I was looking at the art of the time, and, uh, you know, of course, the instrumentation, and, mm. you know, what instruments were like. And it was just, it, it kind of brought in all different things that were of interest to me, kind of right. with a focal point being this piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I'm curious what philosophy are you drawn to like stoicism or any particular well philosophy? that remains to be seen <laughs> <laughs> like i have always been interested in philosophy and um so i keep going back to it like right now i'm going through this podcast actually um, oh really yeah and it, it's a it's a philosophy course basically mm. and I'll have to show you later. Like I have all these big pieces of paper up on my bedroom wall right now. And I'm like just going through each of the philosophers and kind of seeing how they relate. And this guy got this from this guy. And so fun. Yeah, it is fun. What's the podcast? I'm curious. It's called philosophize. This philosophize. This is a very, uh, he's a very kind of low key, uh, informal, uh, approach to, uh, like I can listen to it and do the dishes and <laughs> <laughs> if I miss a little here or there, right. it's going to be fine. Right. That's <laughs> really cool. And I bet all, I'm sure all that reading and everything informs your music too. Like aside from like, okay, I'm playing a Stravinsky piece and I want to play mm-hmm. Stravinsky, but I'm sure all those ent- other interests feed in. I'm sure they do. I don't know Maybe how. Maybe con- consciously. Yeah, I mean, if they do, it's not really conscious, I don't think. But how could they not? I mean, everything yeah. that you experience and learn, I think it informs the way you are, the way you move in the world. Right. And so you remind me where where you grew up because I... Did you grow up here? In yeah, the I did. Yeah, I, uh, my family moved here. Um, when I was in third grade, from we were in Eugene. Okay, I was born in Eugene. You were born in Eugene. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Lived a little bit there, and then we moved to Portland, and then we moved here, back to Eugene, then here, and I moved to Ashland when I was in fourth grade. So I went through <laughs> Hellman Elementary, Ashland Junior High School, Ashland High School, the whole deal. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you. That I read that you start you were banging on stuff early 
<laughs> and that your mom was like trying to get you to do other stuff. But did <laughs> um, when when did you start formal? Did you have formal music lessons early on? Not early on, but um, when I was in, I guess maybe it was middle school actually. Okay. Um, the band director, um, Rudy Dimitrovich, <laughs> Mr. D. He was a great guy. He was a drummer too. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, so I, I remember. Yeah, he just for some reason he just said, Teresa, you you should you should be doing this. And he just <laughs> gave me some rudiments, and he gave me this book, and he said, and you should go compete at this festival. And <laughs> so, so he kind of informally gave me lessons. Mm. Um, and I and then I took piano lessons. Oh wow! Yeah, I t- I studied with um, the famous Patty McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> future mother-in-law <laughs> wow that's so funny is that how you met sean no that's how i met patty <laughs> that's how you met patty i, I had a crush on sean <laughs> in junior high and i was taking lessons i had taken lessons in grade school from i forget her name but this little old lady mm. down the street and um i had a crush on sean and i knew <laughs> that his mom was a pianist. So I went to my mom and said, you know, I need to take lessons from this Patty McCoy. I hear like she's, she's the one. Great. So that's how that happened. Wow. What was that like? <laughs> Piano lessons with Patty. Well, she, she was great. I don't know. She, uh, how old were you? Well, I guess I would have been like 13 or 14. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, she 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 did the thing. It was interesting, actually, because it wasn't <laughs> was it classical or was oh, it yeah. jazz? I was oh, playing yeah. Clementi and Bach, Cherny, <laughs> and all the things. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, it was kind of crazy because uh, she had five kids and they were all young. Sean was the oldest. Wow. <laughs> I remember, I remember, you know. Um, sitting there and looking out the window and I saw one of her sons run by the window. You know, he was probably like, you know, eight mm-hmm. or seven. And then I saw his brother chasing him with a knife in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of wild and woolly. Wow. But yeah, she was, a, she was a good teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, I think she tried to teach me a little jazz even. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> was your family musical? Well, no, not well, a little bit. Like my mm. dad played guitar mm. very informally and he had at one point I mean he loved music. He's mm. the reason that I love music. Was he like listening to music he all was, the time? Yeah. He oh, okay. owned a record store for a brief oh, wow. time. And I think that's why I'm not sure. He had a huge record collection. <laughs> and so like I mean, he had um, opera. He had Madame Butterfly. I remember listening to that because the cover was pretty. It had right. this beautiful woman on it. And uh, and then he had the Beatles, and he had old jazz and Motown, and he just had a, a wide variety of records. Mm-hmm. And um, he he used to tell me that even when I was like, you know, one years old or two <laughs> years old, he had one of those big stereos that's in a big wooden box, like a piece of furniture. <laughs> he used to, he said that he used to put me up on that and kind of bounce me in time to the music. <laughs> so I wow. don't know. Wow, you were getting the rhythm. I think maybe so. Early. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. So you were, that's so, yeah, my, my family had lots of music 
like I seem like the record player was always yeah running in my house yeah and my dad was a big Mario Lanza fan oh is that right and um and Elvis and the Beatles and then my sister was like you know into Chicago and oh, my yeah. brother was into Miles Davis and wow yeah, yeah. so you had an eclectic uh <laughs> background as well right right that's awesome so then you studied with Patty mm-hmm. and then what did you know like at what point were you like okay this is this is what I want to get really serious I want to study music when did that happen well it was in high school you know getting ready to graduate and trying to figure out what to do and I had two passions that had been with me all through high school Mm -hmm. and one was music I just loved music I was the band nerd I was in the band room all the time (laughs) playing the jazz band everything right all my friends were band nerds but then the other thing I liked to do was I was on the debate team and and so when I wasn't in the band room, I was in the library working with my debate partner. And we were pretty good. We actually wow. were the first team to go to nationals from Ashland. And <clears throat> so cool. at the end of high school, I was thinking, well, I could, go, I could go major in music or maybe I should be a lawyer and do music for fun because <laughs> law would be fun. <laughs> and, and by that time... I still, even though I'd had this crush on Sean, we still, I still had not managed to get a date with him. <laughs> but he just turned to me and he said, why would you do law when you could do music? Why would you even consider law? And I went, oh, all right, I guess I'll do music. <laughs> That's funny. So, I mean, I gave it a shot. I got a scholarship, you know. I, I figured, well, okay. So you uh, got some money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I went up to U of O. And, and you were studying percussion there mm-hmm. with yeah. Charles' dad? Yep. Yeah, wow. good old Charles. <laughs> the Funky Primer. Yes. Was that, had he written that already? He published it, I think, either while I was studying with him or maybe <laughs> just before. I right. think actually it was while I was studying with him that he, he, the first copies went out. Mm. Yeah. Was he a real big influence on your... He was. Like your drumming? I mean, I, I would assume, or your timpani playing probably maybe even more. I don't know. Well, I would just say, in general. you know, less in a particular instrument. If anything, maybe timpani. He did teach me quite a bit mm-hmm. um, in timpani. Drum set, I mean, I did study drum set with him, but I didn't like the way he played. <laughs> so I didn't really try to emulate him. Sure. Um, but he did give me like... His, his ethos, mm. for good or ill, <laughs> uh, he he really pushed that on to his students well, and mm. it actually served pretty well. But it's kind of a paranoid, dark way of looking <laughs> at music. Like could, can you describe what that is? Like, what? How would you define that ethos, or or what? Well, okay, I'll give you an example. He, he used to say, um, he used to say, all right, when you go, I don't care where you're going. If you're going to the gig, if you're going to rehearsal, you come prepared. You are ready to play. You have all your mallets. You don't show up on time. You show up early. Because I'll tell you what, if you get there without your mallets, don't ask the guy next to you 
to loan you his mallets because he's in competition with you. He's not going to loan you his mallets. If you're late, you're not going to get hired again. If you have a bad attitude, you're going to get fired. So like it was all this like really, oh, like it's a dog eat dog world out there and you better just be awesome. And it, you know, it really scares like high school students like, you know, get those sticks out of your back pockets and, you know, buy a case and, you know, I mean, it works really well, but, but it makes you a little bit, um, I don't know, kind of suspicious. Paranoid maybe or scared. I, I found out pretty quickly that that really wasn't the way people were. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it left its mark on me, sure, like, you know, in, a, in some good ways, you know, like I do, I am always prepared and, well, not always, but I really try <laughs> to be prepared, <laughs> but it kind of leaves you, with, it kind of makes you feel like, man, if I screw up, like, that would be really bad in front of other people, like, <laughs> it would be terrible. Yeah. Yeah, wow, so that, yeah. Yeah, he made an impression on me. There, there were some good things about you, it, definitely. You were there for. I was just there a couple of years. Couple of years. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think percussionists hear differently than the rest of us musicians? Do you think we what? Hear, hear, hear differently. differently. What like do you mean by that? I just read a. I forget who it was, Antonio Antonio Sanchez or. It was some great jazz drummer, and he was saying that he hears everything in threes. So, like, Hmm. he'll hear a really complex rhythm, Uh and in his mind, it's all three. Like, he's breaking it down into sets of threes, and I was just... I read that just not that long ago, so I was thinking about that also coming to see you tonight. I was like, I wonder if Teresa hears things that way, or if... Just drummers. I didn't ask Terry this, but I'm just curious. Like, well, you know, I, as a melodic mm-hmm. instrument player, I'm sure I hear things a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I was just, yeah. So I curious. no, I think it's true. I I think actually we're trained to do that. I know I was. You you're trained to break down, especially as a percussionist. A lot of what we do is complex rhythms. That's right. that's one of the things that we specialize in, right? <laughs> So yeah, so we're trying to break it down so that we we can figure out um, you know the the best ways to mm-hmm. remember those rhythms and play them accurately and so yeah, we absolutely absolutely um I mean I do. Just I was trained to. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh I don't know that that's true all the time, but you know that is something that I latch onto, like with the jazz playing. You know, I'll be listening a lot to um, what I can do to interact with the soloist, mm-hmm. and you know, it's mostly rhythmic. Right. So I'm I really listen carefully to um, to how people play, and some right. players are more rhythmic than others, and they they naturally lend themselves to a little more rhythmic interaction and some are more lyrical and and you just kind of stay out of their way sure basically but i'm always listening for it right yeah i get that i get that from playing with you like mm-hmm. I, the last gig we played the whole the herbie and wayne thing mm-hmm. that was one of the best gigs i can remember from for myself in a long time that was so fun it was so much fun and and it i would say largely 
I mean, the group was great, but I, it was just largely I felt such a connection to you and what you were doing. And, oh, and yeah, um, me too. I, we I thought we were really connected. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know so how that well, is when it's, yeah. when it's really, you're really connecting and it's like you're thinking the same thoughts sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know how you just, you do the same thing. It's like we planned it that way. It just right. happens. Yeah. I felt so prepared for that gig. Like I had practiced so you sounded great. So much. And that was so much fun, you know, for me. Yeah, that was that was a, one of those nights you remember right. for sure. I wish we could I wish it was recorded. Oh yeah. Well if only we knew someone who had mics. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Recording gear. Do you pre- <laughs> like your preparation for a gig like that, is that is it I mean, other than the fact that for like an orchestra gig you have very specific mm-hmm. notes that you're going to play, like right. like how do, but how much different fundamentally is your preparation for like a jazz gig or the salsa? I mean, I guess compared to something that's more like the symphony or more like a, mm-hmm. like you, you did soundtracks and stuff like that. I'm sure mm-hmm. right. that's totally, I, I would imagine I haven't done a lot of that. So I would imagine that it's a different mindset yeah. in a certain way. Well, soundtracks, though, at least the ones that I played on your site reading, that you do not have the music ahead of time, so you're just a dang good sight reader, or you're not doing it. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually I feel it's very different to prepare for those different styles. Mm-hmm. Like um, for the gig that you and I did together, um, there's not a lot that I can do to prepare by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know the tunes. Right. Um, the only valuable preparation is to play with these other people to get a a certain vibe to kind of feel like oh this is this is what it feels like to Mm. play with these three other guys you know this is how we interact and so you know it's it's always that problem with jazz gigs because people you know it's like okay we're gonna you know we're gonna play this tune and i'm probably gonna play three times through the changes but for now let's just go through one time (laughs) and so because right we're just saving time time. so what happens is that you know sometimes it it like that night it just we really clicked and we were thinking the same way, we were mm-hmm. really just in tune, right. and, and so it didn't matter. It just happened. Um, right. But but that's the that's the the challenge with local groups sometimes is that really to get the best playing, I think for me, I like to know the musicians a little bit and their styles because I get used to a little bit what to expect. Like there's a certain chemistry mm-hmm. and relationship. And I mean, we, you and I probably have some of that just because we played so often over right. the years, you know. So that maybe that's part of it. But right. but that's that. So that's you know that's preparation for that is really just um, in the, vibe. the rehearsals on the yeah. vibe, yeah. But like for for the symphony, I mean, technically, usually, I mean, sometimes it's technical. You just have to yeah. practice. You need a great, you know, smooth <laughs> roll, or whatever. So there's that technical. But what I find with the symphony is the way more important and what takes me more time is knowing the piece really well inside out so that I know the shape of it. Like where's, where's the climax and you know, how much do I hold back before, Mm. you know, to make it feel good. And, um, who do I play with here so that I can be, you know, spot on ensemble wise. So, 
Um, it's it's really so. I when I for the symphony, I'm listening. I'm just listening to the music, and I'm listening to it, you know, weeks in advance if I can, mm-hmm. because over time you notice different things, and you have different thoughts about what would be good. And of course, the conductor is going to have his. <laughs> he has his ideas but sometimes what i notice is that maybe i'm having the same idea as the conductor but if i play it away that i think this is how it should be sometimes i think it just sells the conductor on it like he hears and says yeah (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) at least what i imagine like he doesn't say no don't do it that way i want to do it this other way so do you do you i'm curious uh dig into a little bit of the details of that like so if do you is it typically you get the program you know okay we're playing you know Shostakovich or or whatever Beethoven mm-hmm. and maybe you don't have the music yet and then you just start listening or do you get mm-hmm. the music like what's the can you get specific about that like you just yeah. You start listening first and then you mm-hmm. get I won't, the music out or I won't wait for the music. If I'm if I've like it a lot of it depends on what's going on in my life at the moment. Like if I'm really busy with jazz gigs and other things that are taking my time, um, I may not be listening it. But if I have the time, I'll start listening. I don't need the music to listen to it. And then often I have the music already because I've played the piece before mm-hmm. or you can download it from certain right. places. So if I have the music, then I will, you know, have it on hand so I can make little notes in it. I usually download the score if I can, oh, wow. um, because there are a lot of times when, um, you know, there are places where you need to tune the drums and it's awkward sometimes. And I'm saying, like, who has the note? Who is playing my note somewhere close to where I have to make this change? And I can <laughs> listen for that oboe player or whatever. Right. So there's that. Mm. And then also sometimes there are just confusing things where you wonder, what are those guys playing? Because I have to play at the end of that run. And are they playing septuplets or are those, <laughs> what the heck is that? So um, yeah, it's nice to have the score on hand for those little confusing things. Right. So, um, not for everything, but yeah. for pieces that are more complex and challenging, which is what I like. <laughs> I like it when, like, this is a piece. Oh, I need the score, and I really need to <laughs> listen to this. And, yeah, I really like that. Right. What happens when you encounter? I mean, I'm sure it's not that frequently because you're very accomplished. But like, if you when you encounter a passage that's just like, how am I going to play this? Yeah. Like, what's your process for that? Hmm. If it's, like, overly complex or maybe there's a quick change. I don't know. I'm not a percussionist. I know for me, like, I can look at a... uh, What was the last piece we played with the symphony? Why am I blanking on it? Oh, it was the Bern... Was it the Bernstein? No, it was the... I'm trying to remember. It was the... Oh, it was Porgy and Bess. It was the Porgy and Bess Uh sort of suite. Right. That we did. And there were some tricky, tricky little bits in there. Mm-hmm. But I imagine, I don't know. I'm just curious what your process is when you look at something and go, oh, wow. Like, I'm really going to have to mm-hmm. spend some time on that. Yeah. Well, uh, my process, um, I actually have a piece right now that I'm kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I just got the part. I'm like, whoa, this is challenging. Right. <laughs> um, so... It's really two things. It's um, technically like practicing it if it's if it's difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. You know how you start slowly yeah, and right. you try to work it up to tempo. How slow do you start? 
so let's say let's say that temp let's say it was like one the performance tempo was 140 well or, I would, or this maybe you know what the performance tempo is for this thing that you're working on like how slow would you back I, it down? i would back it down until it's easy to play whatever that tempo is it's easy mm-hmm. I, this is not challenging i can do this <laughs> I start there. So it could be stupid slow. Stupid slow. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, I just back it down until where it's, it's not a challenge at all. Mm-hmm. And then just incrementally, you know, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Um, and that's, so that's the technical part. And then the other part that really I have found, I, I, I discovered this later in my career is that knowing the piece, knowing what it's supposed to sound like, um, that has saved me so many times, you know, like I'm playing along and all of a sudden there's, Oh, what the heck? Like I'm lost, but right. I am playing it correctly because I, it's in it's my in head. head. I know what it sounds like. And I've lost my, on the page. I'm not quite sure what happened, but it's, I've, I've performed it correctly. So that, that's the other thing is just right. knowing it so well. I mean, by itself, but especially in context with the orchestra. Like, how does my part fit mm-hmm. in with everybody else? Sure. And that's really, um, I think a lot of people overlook that. They just learn their part. They just learn their part and show up. Yeah, but if you don't know how it fits with everybody, then you'll play early or you'll play late. You won't play in time with you because you don't know to wait. Like th- this is like what happens yeah. with the score. <laughs> like I'll look up and say, "Oh, so the violinists have a sixteenth note right before my downbeat." So I know to listen for them. Right. I wait and <laughs> yeah. I learned that late in life too. I mean, as a practicing musician, I don't know why it took me so long to get that. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Listen to the piece a bunch before you, yeah. <laughs> you know, to give you context. We have really, that luxury now. Yeah, I mean, it was harder. You know, back when there were cassette tapes. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you didn't have access to right. You have to go out and buy the record. It wasn't at your fingertips uh, to just listen to. Or stuff in on college, YouTube. when you're playing all these pieces that these graduate students are writing, Wrote. it's like. What the heck? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the other thing, you know, when, as far as working it up, you know, what do you do? Like, there have been times when I've had to play something with not enough preparation time because the composer didn't get it done. Mm-hmm. And then you get the part and it's crazy hard. It's, it's maybe, it's maybe it's impossible, <laughs> you know, maybe impossible even. And, you know, if you're lucky and the composer's on hand, you can say, well, how important are these notes? Like, did you really mean for this to be, you know, what you wrote, or were you just looking for random, like a random sound? Right. You know, yeah. is it the rhythms that are important, or are, is everything here important yeah. at this tempo? <laughs> <laughs> just asking. Right. That <laughs> happened to me a few years back at Brit. We were playing a, a, a relatively new piece, and um, the conductor was trying to be really... Uh, he was trying to make us play this passage like uber precisely. Uh-huh. Um, it was a, it was like a seven, a seven tuplet or something, nine uplet. I don't know what it was. Yeah. Something really complex. And then the composer showed up like a couple of days before or the day of the performance, and he was standing right behind the saxophones, and he was like, "Oh, it doesn't have to be that precise. It's just a, it's yep. just a gesture, you know." Yep. And I was like, "Phew." 
Yeah, and weren't you glad he was there to tell you that? Because otherwise you could practice hours. I know. I was like, there's no way. (laughs) That happened to me so many times in in college that I started to realize, okay, ask the question. What do you really mean here? What are you trying to, yeah. Yeah. That's true. I I, I had some of that too in college. I think the composers are getting smarter now and they figured out, you know, how to notate it so they, you know, (laughs) it's clearer. Right. To the player. Right. Eugene, and then you decided to go to Los Angeles. Yeah. What, tell me about that. Well, what um, inspired that was I went to one of the PASIC events, which is the Percussive Arts Society International Convention. (laughs) And and I saw a bunch of great players and, you know, little... (laughs) small town, what a girl from Oregon. <laughs> and then, uh, particularly though, I saw another woman player and she was just playing the heck out of this marimba. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. And so, um, and, and by this time I'd had t- almost two years with Charles Dowd right? and he, he was a, he was a difficult personality. Yeah. And yep, um, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he, he was not a good fit for me yeah. as, as an instructor. So, um, so I just, I just, so I, I, I contacted her and said, I want to come study with you. Mm-hmm. And she said, great. Uh, I'm teaching at Cal state long beach. And so I said, perfect. <laughs> My boyfriend and I are taking a year off. We're going to go bike Europe. But when I get back, I am enrolling. <laughs> so we left it like that. So I, so Sean and I took a year off of school Ah. And then we worked and whatever. And then I, I had all my transcripts transferred and I applied and was accepted and had everything arranged. And then we headed off to Europe with our bikes and we were gone for three months mm, and kind of incommunicado, you know, right. no cell phones. And <laughs> we get back and there's a letter waiting for me from Karen Irvin. This was mm. the woman. And she said, Teresa, I just got this great gig to go play this cool marimba part, Pirates of Penzance. We're going to show. I'm not going to be teaching at Long Beach this next year. Oh no! Yeah, but like it's too late. Like right, I'm, you've already, I've already everything's yeah. So um, wow. Yeah, but um, it it was it was actually turned out to be great. I went down there and. Um, uh, Greg Goodall was filling in for her, and he's now like one of the top studio cats. He's mm-hmm. just working all the time. But he was kind of great because he was young and kind of <laughs> green then, and and uh, <laughs> so he was very relatable. And he had some very practical advice for me, and just it, mm-hmm. you know, he was just a, a good guy. And so I studied a year with him, 
and then Karen came back mm. and um, she ended up, she then, <clears throat> she quit Long Beach. I don't know what happened there, but she quit and she went to Northridge, Castillo Northridge. So I just followed her up there. Mm. So I did get to study with her, which yeah. was amazing. And you were studying marimba mostly or? Um, I was studying everything. And also once I was there, like, oh, you can study with anyone in Los Angeles if you pay them money. So I studied with everybody that, I mean, I studied with every single person in the LA Philharmonic. I studied with... Um, the percussionists. You mean all the all percussionists. The percussionists yeah. All the percussionists in the Philharmonic. And I studied with um, Brazilian mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just anybody I could get lessons with. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Is that where, where two of those guys, the, uh, um, uh, what are that, Louis and Jerry, Louis Conte? Louis Conte, yeah, and, yeah, I studied and with Jerry him. And Jerry Steinholz, yes. Were they two of those guys that yeah. were in LA? Yeah, yeah, Jerry Steinholz uh, is a funny guy from New York, and uh, but really like a uh, heavy duty studio player, mm-hmm. um, played a lot of the Motown recordings and. So, um, percussion, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm, drum percussion. set. Yeah. Percussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the one that got me started playing, um, congas and mm. all the, the hand percussion. Right. <clears throat> yeah. He actually, he had kind of a little extension class at Cal State Northridge and there were like, I don't know, 15 of us that were all in this class with him and then just, you know, studied with him and learned the style and, and then eventually I got to study with Luis Conte as well which right. is amazing what was that like he, he was great like <laughs> he, he's such an amazing player and such a, a sweet, sweet guy. guy just yeah just really sweet and I studied with him down there and then was that mostly congas yes yeah yeah exclusively actually just congas I actually talked to him about bata one time and he was saying no <laughs> bata is it's it's you know, I'm a Christian now. I don't go there. Right. Women aren't supposed to play it anyway. It's like, ooh, okay. <laughs> All righty then. Y- yeah, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, he was, but he was really good. Uh, there were some, just so many great players down there. It's just yeah. incredible. And yeah. not just people to study with, but just to make music with other people down there that just made you up your game, you know, just, just to be in the same room with some people like, wow, I better really, really shine. Right. So that was, you were there like 10 years? Yeah. 80 to 90. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Uh huh. Right. 80 to actually I think 89. Right. Yeah. And what, how, what was your entryway into like the studio stuff and, and, um, soundtracks and all that? Was it well, this, that first guy you studied? What was his name? I'm sorry. The first guy you studied with it. Greg Goodall? Yeah. No. Was it him? Uh-uh. Um, it was actually uh, another percussionist, um, Mark Zamoski is his name. Very cool guy. And um, <clears throat> he just sent me some bongos, actually. Oh, wow. Really cool. <laughs> I'm really excited to play them on the next gig. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we played in a symphony together and, um, but he was getting hired, um, by, what's his name? Chris. Oh gosh. I can't remember his name, but like this guy, he, he, now he's like doing Superman movies, but at the time he was doing horror movies. (laughs) A composer. (laughs) 
Yeah, like yeah. I got to play on one of the um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, Mark, uh, they were just looking for per- percussionists, and this first job was was amazing because it was one of these horror films. And so we went into this. They had an entire room in one of the big studios. Mm-hmm. I, I forget which studio it was, but it was filled with all these exotic, like hanging from the ceiling were pieces of steel, <laughs> and there were bows, like bo- bass bows, in the room, and there were all these, you know, made things that uh-huh. this other guy um, <laughs> that uh, that works a lot. Um, down there still he had he they just say we need lo- we need some spooky sounds so he just <laughs> invented all these instruments got all these things together and we would bow you know uh-huh. make all these crazy sounds it was really fun was it scored or were they just like make, make it was scary scored sounds? it oh, was okay. it was scored but i mean in some places there were hits like okay we need like a scratch right there or a, you know um but then in other places it was just like okay for like three measures Spooky sounds, right. <laughs> you know, scrapey, squealy, like you know, wow. things. Yeah. Was <laughs> it? Did it, did you feel pressure in those environment? In that environment? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I. That's another great teaching ground. It's like you're playing along and and you make a mistake and you go, oh shoot, <laughs> right? And there are lots of things going on. Like there's a whole other room with the string players and yeah. the brass, and there's a lot going on. And and you're you're thinking, oh no, if you know, am I gonna have to cough to this? And you just wait, like I would wait till the last minute, and then hopefully someone else will say, you know, I'm sorry, Chris, I clammed, you know, in the third measure, I played a wrong note, and I'm like, oh yay, we have we to, get to do, do another it. take. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to be the one, right? Because it's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah. So yeah, the pressure, and you and, and you are just sight reading everything. So. Um, you know, you'll you say, you know, I don't even I don't even think we rehearsed. I think we just say, okay, let's take a pass at it and see how it goes. Were you already a really good sight reader? Yeah. Yeah. Did you practice sight reading? How did yeah. you get good at it? Yeah. Okay, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like that that was one of the things that, that started with Charles Dowd. Uh-huh. Like, like, like my very fr- I'm a freshman, right? right. Very <laughs> First percussion ensemble rehearsal. We've been handed our parts, right. so we come ready, yeah, to play. ready to play. So, but I don't know. I think he wanted to make a point, but was, this poor guy was not cutting his marimba part. It's just he didn't. He wasn't ready. <laughs> and Charles so. just said, "Okay, Ken, you're out. Teresa, read the part." <laughs> and she just step up and play the part. So you just had to, had to be good. Like, like the pressure was on. So like from that moment, I always, every year in school, I always was a member of some quartet. We would get four marimbas together Mm -hmm. and we would take violin quartets and we would take turns playing each of the The parts. parts. Yeah. 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 And the whole time I was in school and even after I did that just to, um, you know, keep your reading. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Owen did that to us. Really? When I was at you, I was there. I don't know what our age difference is, but I was there later than you. And Steve Owen had been there. He's the the director of jazz studies. And Uh and, um, he had been there like a year. Okay. And I, it took me, the first year I wasn't in the top jazz band, but the second year I I got my way into the top jazz band. Mm -hmm. I was playing second alto. And I remember we went to, he would have a sight read stuff all the time. Like we'd come into rehearsal and he would just throw, he was throwing stuff at us mm. all the time. Mm-hmm. 
And then the the tipping point for me was we went to the Reno Jazz Festival mm-hmm. and we're competing and we we're standing backstage and Steve hands out two pieces of music. Uh-huh. And he's like, and we're looking at him like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Oh, and he's wow. Like, he's like, no, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wow. We're going to play these two pieces. That's actually pretty awesome. And it was like, <laughs> holy shit. So, um, and we end up, we won. Like, wow. We won the competition, but he, he did that like, so often we would go to play a concert, yeah. even at Bell Hall or wherever. And we, he just, you just never knew. There was one time, I think we only played one piece uh-huh. that we rehearsed and the rest was sight reading. I think that's pretty cool, actually. I mean, sight reading, that's such a great skill to have. Yeah. It it comes in handy so much. Yeah. I and still get fun. super <laughs> nervous yeah. when I do it, but there's like... um I remember uh, another story. Well, that it was at SOU, and I was I was teaching, and and there something happened to one of the sax players in the jazz ensemble, and mm-hmm. Martin called me dead in desperation. It was like mm-hmm. it was the day of, and he was like, "I don't know where the student is, and <laughs> we're gonna have to cancel the concert." Oh, what? And he's like, "Would you be willing to come play the first center part?" And I was like, "Okay." And then I did it, and I just remember like all the students were like. <laughs> their jaws were like yeah yeah i can't believe you <laughs> yeah did that and i was like well that's what you you know see that's just great you gotta be able to it, do it. it's great training i think i really respect that 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 band director or that yeah he, steve he, yeah, yeah he, i'm sure he still does it actually i know garrett, garrett told me that's i think that that's excellent that. that's excellent <laughs> It really, because it, it just happens all the time, doesn't it? it yeah. You get in those does. situations. And, and also the other thing he made us do was um, we weren't allowed to bring a, so, you know, an E flat or a B flat real book to a gig. Mm. We had to, we had to, we had to be able to read, sight read yeah. in concert. Yeah. Key, like sight transpose. I'm glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> We all have our burdens. I'm glad that's not one of mine. Right. Ah. <laughs> so at the end of LA, that's when the technology started in 1989. Is that when you got into tech? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, a little bit before because as I was finishing up school, um, you know, I, I always had a job to pay for school. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, the last job I had was for the saxophone player, actually. Oh, wow. And he started a magazine called Wind Player Magazine. and um, I remember that magazine. Do you? Well, he and I started it together. One day he walked in, because he had a music store. He did, he repaired. He, mm-hmm. he was really pretty well known for repairing right. instruments. So one day he walked in, or actually I walked in, like I, I just worked behind the counter for him. And, and there was a, a computer on the back desk. And he said, Teresa, I'm opening a magazine and I need you to learn how to use this computer because <laughs> we're going to publish it on the computer and you're going to have to write some subscription software. And uh, <laughs> so here's the manual. Here's DBase 3 and here's the IBM manual and see if you can figure it out. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. yeah. So, 
it was it was fun. I I had wow. a great time learning it, and yeah, we put that magazine together, and um, like uh, I handled all this. I I wrote a, a subscription database so we could handle all the money, right? And all that, sure. And then also, um, you know, I did some of the interviewing and, you know, hiring the like we used to have. Um, oh my God, what's that guy's name? Oh, we had this great guy who did trans. Name's the tip of my tongue. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we just, uh, it was fun. Yes, we wow. put that magazine out, and uh, and that's how I got into tech. And <laughs> then when we decided to move back up to Oregon, right. I just thought, well, I'm not going to be making a living as a musician, <laughs> but I bet I can, you know, these yeah. skills, I can put them to use somewhere. Right. So that's how I got into that. Was that a tough decision? I imagine, like, being in L.A., and you were, well, you're, you're in your 20s, I'm imagining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was sh sure must have been fun and exciting. Yeah, to it be was. In all that, like, was that a really tough choice to say, okay, I mean, obviously you wanted to start a family and that was important mm -hmm. to you, but, mm -hmm. you know, what was that like, that decision to, like, leave that cultural mecca to come to beautiful back yeah. to beautiful Southern Oregon and start a family? Well, um, it's hard to actually recall exactly <laughs> the, the feelings that, sure. you know, then, because sure. by the time we decided to do it, it was like, yeah, let's That's go. That's what we're doing, yeah. There, yeah. Um, I'm sure leading up to that, like, the, the, it was more Sean that had really kind of soured on Southern, yeah, yeah, he was like, he was done. <laughs> I was still pretty happy and having a good time, but I'm also pretty easy to, yeah. I, I can move around and. Sure. Yeah. You're versatile. <laughs> I am. I, I, I'm pretty adaptable, yeah, you yeah. know? So, sure. um, so the career was going pretty well, but it was, you know, it's hard. It's just really hard. Like, mm. um, by the end, like, I do remember that feeling like I cannot turn down one gig. Right. I you have to get them. I got to take every gig that's yeah. offered to me. And if one is offered that's better, I got to try to juggle it so I can find a sub and make it work. And I got to work all the connections because you want to be on the good side of this contractor. And right. it was such, <laughs> it was kind of getting to be such a hassle that the actual music making right. was starting to, um, I was getting a little bit sour yeah. on the actual music. So it, I guess yeah, when Sean started saying, you know, let's get out of here, I just kind of went, all right, yeah. yeah, let's go. Wow. And so you guys, you came back in night like 90? Yeah, 89. 89. Yeah. Wow. What a yeah. transition. Yeah, it really was. It was harder to come <laughs> back than I thought when we got here. Like, it seems like, gosh, all these people are moving in slow motion. <laughs> where's the, where's the excitement? Where's the fire? You know? Right. Right. And LA is, I mean, I guess you compare LA to New York and LA is like laid back, but right. compared to the Rogue to Valley, the Rogue Valley yeah. Uh, yeah, LA seems really, you know, popping. Right. So yeah, that took that took it a was while. A shift, I'm sure. It was a shift. Yeah. And then how how did you re-enter like the music world here? I mean, you, I guess you probably had kind of built-in connections with yeah with I your did. family. 
I did. I, I knew a lot of people, and uh, especially like the couple years I was at U of O, we had come here and done a lot of gigs. And so, yeah, I was pretty. But, you know, I, I took 10 years off. I, I actually, when we moved back, I had this attitude. First of all, uh, I, I, I thought, one of the things I love is the symphony. Like, that was one of my favorite things to do in L.A. I played in, like, every symphony down there. Oh, wow. But um, I thought, you know, this is going to be such, uh, you know, a letdown. I'm mm -hmm. just not going to do it. I'm not going to play in the symphony here. Maybe I'll do some gigs eventually. But what happened was <clears throat> I got pregnant, which we wanted. Yeah. And, and I just, I know myself so well. I just thought, you know... I need to focus on kids because the way I am, I just, I get focused on something and <laughs> to the exclusion of everything else, I am very fixated on whatever it is that has my interest sure. at the moment. Yeah. So I actually, I told John, I'm just not going to take any gigs. And I didn't take any gigs for 10 years. Holy cow. Nothing. Yeah. That's amazing. And I didn't miss it at all. Not at all. Like, I think, I don't know, maybe after because of my attitude from L.A. or I don't know what mm -hmm. it was. And I was busy with kids sure, and that was yeah, really fun. Yeah. So I didn't, it was, Did yeah. you play music? I mean, did you play at home or Not anything? really. No, you just sort of set the sticks down and were like, okay, I think I might have played, you know, like um, once in a while at church or something. But I didn't, no, I didn't have anything. I didn't feel any great need to do it. Wow. Maybe once in a while with Patty. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, no, it was like, yeah. And then what shifted? What happened? I mean, your kids were older, obviously. Yeah, that's really what happened. The kids got older and um, they, and then <laughs> it kind of just, it just kind of seeped in. You know, the very first one was um, um, David McKenzie. Something. Yeah, trombone player, right. conductor, and he did those like Valentine's Day concerts and different well, things with yeah. yeah, yeah. But what he st he started a salsa band that Dave Miller was in, and so they asked me if I would like to play in this salsa band and congas. I just loved you know <laughs> playing congas. Right. So wait, you know. Am I lying about that? <laughs> Let me think about this. Because I was playing music. There was one band I was playing. I was playing with Arena Ferreira, who's a Venezuelan. Mm. She was the one person that I was still playing with. I see. Even while the kids were little. Yeah, I okay. didn't quit completely. <laughs> Dang. That was a great story. <laughs> yeah, until the memory kicked in. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, it was that salsa band kind of drew me in, mm. and um, yeah, because that was just you know fun. I kind of missed that. That that was fun. Wow. Yeah. And then things just little by little, you know. Oh, I think basically people started saying, "Oh, Teresa's playing out now. She's she's playing again." So I started getting all these calls. Hey, I heard you're playing. You right. Come play. You do, this? Come do, this? Come do this. Come do this. Yeah. And you started saying yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's really, I've been really, really blessed because uh, the music scene here is amazing. It's really <laughs> great. There's so many great players here. It's just, um, 
we shouldn't have so many great players in this little <laughs> rig valley. It's surprising. It really is. That was just something that surprised me coming back from the Bay Area because, well, I'd been gone for almost 20 years. Yeah. You know, in Arizona for grad school and mm-hmm. Eugene for undergrad and then the Bay Area. And when I moved back, I didn't come here willingly, but when I moved back here, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, sleepy little Ashland. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. And like, there's going to be nothing to do. And uh-huh. I'm going to be so bored. And then it was like, I'm playing in the salsa band. And I was doing the, you know, it just started. It just, and met Rhett. And it was like, yeah. we're off and running with yeah. all kinds of stuff. So it is pretty, it's pretty remarkable. The, the caliber. Mm-hmm. And the you know the quantity for this size yeah area yeah yeah and the qual the qual yeah both the quality and the quantity it's is true surprising. it's true uh, and I the symphony's know. you know better than it's ever been as far as I'm concerned yeah that was a real like that <laughs> especially when Martin came and he really just you know yeah it was a game changer <laughs> yeah who do you remember any of the like the guest conductors, any like memorable experiences from the LA Philharmonic or the orchestras down there? Well, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, there were some, there were some cool experiences. I Leonard Bernstein came to one of our, um, concerts Mm -hmm. and, you know, right. I don't know. But he didn't conduct. He didn't conduct. No. Yeah. Um, I think the most fun uh, experience I had down there, or kind of outlandish one, was um, I got a call because there was a concert going on in like Palm Springs or Palm Desert or something, mm-hmm. and and uh, I don't know what happened to their percussionist, but they needed somebody last minute. I was going to go sight read something. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Here we go. So I'm. They say, okay, go to this airport. There's a private jet. We're going to fly you over there. I'm on a jet with Pia Zadora, of all people. Uh-huh. Fly wow. over to <laughs> to Palm Desert or whatever it was, Palm Springs. And, and Quincy Jones is the conductor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Quincy Jones thing. Yeah, so that was that was pretty amazing. It was an orchestra? What was mm-hmm. the ensemble? Well, it was it was a jazz band. Um, jazz orchestra, like there was a jazz band, a full jazz band, but there were also some strings and there, and then there was a big percussion book with, you know, xylophone and bells and all that Mm -hmm. stuff, which is what I was playing. And, um, because it was a benefit that, um, Nancy Sinatra was hosting or something. And so there were like, it was a star studded event with all these people and, it was just, it was pretty amazing. Just, I don't know, just the whole thing. Oh, they're going to fly me in. I'm just right. going to bring my little bag of mallets and they're going to set some music down in front of me and I'm going to play it, whatever <laughs> it is. It's, yeah. Was there, did you have rehearsal or was it just like, no. you just played the gig? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the gig was that day. Like they called me in the morning. Can you come? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I can. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Who were like, were there like vocalists singing and was it? Well, Nancy, she sang that song. These, what was it? These boots were made for walking. Uh-huh. Wasn't that her big thing? Oh yeah. <laughs> but oh, no, 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 Was no, Quincy no. like playing? He was, he didn't or he play. Was just he conducted. Yeah. He yeah. was the music director for that. And he had probably arranged everything too. I probably. Imagine. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was that was a fun. One. And there were, you know, a few <laughs> other things like that where it's like I got I got to play for the Queen of England. Mm. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, that was, you know. Right. And then you've had like you've had gigs with like Donna Summer, Ben Vereen. Those, that was here. That was here in the Rug Valley, um, those ones. Yeah, that was uh Was uh, that a Brit? One of them, like uh Donna, Donna Summer. Summer. Was it Brit? <laughs> yeah. That was that <laughs> have I told you that story? I think you have, but I yeah, tell me again <laughs> the Donna Summer story. The Donna Summer story. <laughs> it's worth repeating. It's worth getting. On it the was podcast. just kind of fun, right? It was just kind of fun because she's a big star, of course. And there, right. if, I think I was the only local player on that one. Like they, she had brought her band, but they didn't bring a percussionist. So I was playing the congas, mm-hmm. mainly the congas, and so. So we had a rehearsal on the Brit stage, and then her manager came out and said, "Okay, Miss Summer's coming out. Don't talk to her, you know, unless she talks to you. And we're gonna run the tune. And um, and then she he pointed to somebody like a sax player. You might have a solo. We'll see. And then he pointed to me because there was a conga solo. Mm-hmm. You might have a solo. We'll see." <laughs> That was a music director telling you yes. this? Yeah. And so she comes out, sunglasses, we can't even see her face. <laughs> and and so so she's listening to us play. I don't even think, she wasn't singing. She was just listening to us. And so my big moment was after the rehearsal, the, uh, you know, he talked to Donna and he came over to me and said, you may have a solo. <laughs> <laughs> you may have a solo. You may have a solo. All uh, right. <laughs> you got the Donna Summer seal of approval. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But yeah, she was at she was Brit and Ben Vereen was at the Criterion mm-hmm. and also Bernadette Peters. Bernadette Peters. A couple times with her. That was a thrill because like I'm a huge fan of her. <laughs> like that was so She's wow. so fun. Yeah. She's amazing. Were you playing drum set on that one or percussion? No, percussion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've only done, I've done like the four tops and the... Oh, yeah. What was That's the fine. other one? Uh, I can't remember. They're, that They were touring together, those two groups, the four tops, the Temptations. Oh, yeah, fun. But what else? What else is inspiring? What are you listening to? Anything in particular? Um, right now, I don't think there's any single thing. Like, um, I've started listening to the symphony music because that's coming up. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I listen. I guess lately I've list, been listening to some Cuban music, kind of the really old school mm-hmm. um, Cuban music, and. Um, 
oddly enough, in my car, <laughs> I've been listening to um, Bella Fleck playing his orchestral, his orchestral album. Oh, right. It's a strange <laughs> album, and it's only coming on because it's one of the only albums I had downloaded on my phone mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was play- I played when he played Brit a couple years oh, ago. Okay. So I was, it was left over from that performance that was right. when I was studying the piece. But the album is kind of interesting. Like when the music comes on, it's like just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it's so strange that I, it catches my attention, and I like listening to it. And then some other dumb song like that 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 U two song that downloaded and everybody hated oh. <laughs> that free download that's still on my phone just because I haven't bothered to delete it and then that'll come up after Bella Fleck. I see. <laughs> Are you like? Do you use Spotify or any of the? Yeah. I yeah. Do. Sometimes I follow you, Steve. Really? I do. I just say what's what's Steve, Steve listening, listening to? to, and I just click on your thing and I listen to whatever you've been listening oh, to. Oh wow. I'm curious what you heard what she heard that I was listening to. I don't know. I listen to a lot of pop music actually. Yeah, I think it was pop. And then I also do the same thing with my daughter up in Portland because um she has very eclectic taste. Uh. And also she's young and listening to, you know, artists that are, you know, more her generation. And sure. I'm always curious to know what are those guys up to. So I like to mm-hmm. to listen in on what she's listening to. Is that how you find new, like new popular music? Yeah, sometimes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, she she definitely all hear some things, and then also um, I really like the the whole the NPR the Tiny Desk concerts. Oh, those are great. Yeah, I've found quite a few people there I didn't know about. They were like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you remember, did you ever did you hear Daka Braka when they were on that? Daka, I didn't. Oh my gosh, <laughs> they're they're Ukrainian and. Oh my gosh, they're just, they wear the huge hats, but the music is fantastic. <laughs> Sean and I went to, uh, they, they, they uh, had a concert down in, I don't know, San Jose or something mm-hmm. a few years ago. And we went to the concert. It, was, oh, awesome. it was fantastic. Like maybe the best concert I've ever been to, actually. It was, it wow. was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible. That's some endorsement. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So. And then I, you know, Snarky Puppy's been a favorite now for like the past five years. Like I listen to them a lot just, mm-hmm. just to be happy. Right. Just to put a smile on my face. <laughs> they are very happy. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, did, you, did you watch the Grammys last night or follow it at Mm-mm. all? Me either. I, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, Grammys. Yeah. I always feel like I should be more in tune with what's, what's popular, but it's... I, I follow my nieces and nephews a bit and mm. then like try to mm-hmm. glean. Although my niece was here, uh, she's what, she's like 26 and she was here and we were in the car and I have my, I have this playlist. It's all pop music. It's all like really fun dance. Like, uh-huh. and she was like, uncle Steve. Oh my God. I can't believe you. <laughs> you know the words to these songs. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well it's fun. I mean, I, I like, I, I was such a snob for such a long time when I was in mm-hmm. high school. Like I just refused. I was like, if it's not jazz or classical, I'm not listening to yeah, it. Yeah, like right. The sort of snooty. Mm. And then Andrea Matthews. Oh yeah. Uh, I was studying with her, and she <sighs> she lent me two albums. She lent me Men at Work, <laughs> and she lent me The Police. Really? Yeah. 
Nice. And then I was like, mind blown. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. And then I started getting into um, all that. Did you see much live rock music when you were in LA that in during the, during the eighties? Well, not, I mean, not so much rock. I mean, we did go to concerts, but yeah, that yeah. was still like my real jazzy kind of, so you know, we saw Manhattan Transfer uh, and, yeah. um, we did see, um, oh my gosh, I'm really terrible. I need, this is why I need Sean. Cause he remembers all the concerts. I don't know. Yeah, we we saw a bunch of concerts, but I yeah. can't tell you any of them right now. Sure. <laughs> yeah, popular for you know for we, that time. Yeah, like we both Sean and I were kind of into funk and jazz and mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Um, were there any? If thinking back over your career, there were there any like. Can you think of any turning points in terms of like aha moments where you were like, this totally changed the way I'm going to practice or this totally changed. Like, like you mentioned that, that sight reading experience I'm sure was, Mm -hmm. was one. Can you Mm -hmm. think of any other moments like that, that were like pivotal in terms of like changed your approach or changed how you looked at it? Or uh, I don't know, just anything like that. I, Um, I'm always curious about. Yeah, like I don't know that I could pin it down to particular moments, but I know that like over time, certain things have manifested themselves that were like, oh, I I get it now. I get (laughs) it. It took me a while, but I get it. Yeah. You know, like the idea, um, I I discovered, you know, like especially a a difficult part, something that's technically Mm -hmm. challenging. And I had, you know, gone through that, I had gone through like playing it to death, you know, just play it and play it and play it and play it. And then, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe someone said something to me or I don't know, but I stopped that and started to uh, practice a little more focused, like less quantity, more quality, Mm -hmm. and spending a lot more brain cells on it, like just thinking about the the passage that was challenging and mm-hmm. thinking about what's challenging about it and really thinking it through like more strategizing i guess mm-hmm. and and that was kind of a game changer cuz i it i was wasting so much time <laughs> <laughs> and right. and this turns out to be more effective for me um that focused uh more focused way of looking at those things mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was one. And then I think really the other big one was realizing just how much more important it is to play musically than to play accurately. Like if you have a choice, mm-hmm. you know, I'd just rather um, be so musical that mm-hmm. it moves someone and, oh, there was a wrong note, but I don't care because that was such a moving performance. Right. Being, get, you know, you have to, at least for me, like the, with the training that I got early on, it, it took a long time for me <laughs> to be able to forgive myself. I still have trouble. Forgive you're, myself you're for mistake. making mistakes. Like, you're better than that. You don't have to make mistakes. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I do. Right, but really how many people in the audience... I mean, for me, that was one of the things that I realized was like, 
half the time the audience, not that it, not that you shouldn't care, but they, they don't know. They don't know. Doesn't matter. Right. To me. <laughs> it's the intent. It's the, yeah. Well, there's a scale. Like if it was bad enough that the audience knows, okay, I am feeling really bad. If it, if the audience didn't notice, but maybe the musicians around me notice, okay, that's not great either, but it's not as bad as the other. If I'm the only one who probably noticed this, it's still not great, but okay, I got away with it. Right. <laughs> Do you find, like, I've found for myself, and Terry and I talked about this a lot too, that as I've progressed... And now in this stage of my career as a musician, I'm really more interested in the, in the playful aspect and the joy of it. And I think that ties into what you were saying about being musical, being more important than, than the notes on the page or the mm -hmm. playing the exact rhythm, or is it a pianissimo or a pianissimo or, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. And my experience of you is always one of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, has that always been the case? Yeah. Do you think? <laughs> always. Always. Always, always, always. So how do you I mean that's that's amazing. And do you find that even when you're practicing that you feel that sense of joy or well, playfulness or sometimes. I mean, um so the joy, I think that's natural. I think you I think that's pretty much any person who <laughs> plays music, it was because it brought you joy, right? That's well, playing. Yeah. You, you know, it is. It's fun. You wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. No, but I have students. Like, I, I, do you, are you teaching? Do you have private students? Not right now, Okay, no. but you have in the past. Oh, yeah. So I found with, like, my private students, like, it's um, my middle school and high school students, it's really challenging to get them to get into that space mm -hmm. of like play, right. like just have fun, yeah. be joyful. It's like, well, I want to get it right. You know, I want to, mm -hmm. I want to, you know, there's that aspect of pleasing or getting it right or doing it right. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh huh. I do. So it's not, it's, it is, a, I think it is the natural state, but it, it's something that even in, even in college, I would see people, they're just so serious. Yeah. And oftentimes even in symphony orchestras. Oh, especially in symphony orchestras. You know, it's like, it's stressful, <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. you have a couple of rehearsals mm -hmm. and the demands are really high. Mm -hmm. Like you, the level of perfection, the, the you know, the, the expectation of the preciseness is, mm -hmm. you know, is quite high. Yeah, you it's know? true. So how do you main, especially in the symphony, how do you maintain that? How do you cultivate that that sense of joyfulness in spite of like the demands well that that's actually i think uh, an astute question because because i have an inner dialogue about that sometimes mm. um because um particularly with the symphony for me um because this music has such a history right um that there are traditions, everybody knows it, the, the pieces, and you're playing your small bit of it. You're a little bit of this large orchestra, and you add your thing, and you want your thing that you add to be right. Right. And if it's wrong, especially if you're a percussionist, 
it's usually pretty obvious. <laughs> right. Oops. <laughs> you can really break a piece if, you, if yeah. you're a percussionist. So, um, but even in the, in the little notes, like, um, I, that's, that's probably maybe the one, the one genre that I play in that sometimes at the end of the concert, I'm breathing a sigh of relief and thinking, was that fun? <laughs> like, okay, it went well. So I'm relieved. <laughs> I didn't do anything bad. I maybe even feel good that mm-hmm. I did my job well, but was does that qualify as fun? Was that right. actually fun? Right. So, and so there is that little thing, you know, mm-hmm. where I, I really understand. And I've been that kid in the practice room that, you know, so serious. Going <laughs> <laughs> to get it right. Going to get it right. But <clears throat> the thing is, there is joy in that. Like when, when you master something that was challenging you and you, you master it, right. there's, there's, there is joy in that. You feel great about that. And then add to that, you take that, and it's part of a musical performance. Mm-hmm. And you've done something that's not easy to do. You've done it well. Mm-hmm. And if, if you've really done it well, you've moved the audience also. You've, you've shared that experience. Right. That's just great. Like, that's <laughs> everything. That's all the things. Challenging, but not so hard. You couldn't do it, and you did right. it well. And everybody got it, and we all... You know, right. we all smile together. Yeah. And and some genres for me, that's easier, you right. know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's jazz easier. Is easy. Jazz <laughs> is like one of them. Like, you know, you can mess up jazz, but um, it just comes pretty naturally at this point in my life. So yeah. it just feels good to do it, you yeah. know. And it is more like it's... A, it's, it's fluid. It's a little Yeah. Fluid. And it's forgiving. It's really like jazz, I feel like, and rock. Those are kind of the way that music was really meant to be kind yeah. of casual and it's it's not just a spectator sport it's like you right. know everybody right. everybody can pick up an instrument or if you can't you know you can you can jump in on the fun like right yeah yeah it used to be everybody played the mm-hmm. guitar or the piano or sang or yeah it didn't used to be this special thing and now it's like this right. It feels like, at least, like it's the special thing. Right. Like, oh, these people play music, and then the rest of us right, kind of stand around and yeah, like right. enjoy it. Uh, you know, I mean, there's gradations of that, obviously, but it feels more in our society, more lopsided than, you know, a hundred years ago when it was like, yeah, people just sat around in the evening and sang songs and. Yeah, exactly. Played the guitar and had fun, you know. Yeah. There was no stress about like, oh, you got to get that just absolutely right. Do you find in the moment, like, it's more of a, it sounds to me like more of a reflection after the concert than during the concert, noticing, am I having fun or not? Yeah, there's no time for that thought. (laughs) (laughs) You know, while the music is happening, I'm very focused. Sure. Very focused, unless I'm hungry and then I'm thinking (laughs) about food. (laughs) Because I've I've also had the experience where I've thought a performance went, maybe not necessarily from me. Maybe I didn't make a mistake, but Mm -hmm. it just felt like, oh, that wasn't really. Yeah. Yeah, that was okay. And then uh, you walk out and meet the people and they're like, Oh my God, that was so amazing. Yeah. That changed my life. Like I Right. 
you know. <laughs> I know, I know. You you just never know. It's it's a kind of a mystery in a way because because sometimes I agree with the audience, you know, like this was so much fun, you know. <laughs> yes. Um, and but then those times when you're like going, ugh, ugh, sucked, and then people still loved it. Then you think, well, was is any of it real then? Like when I'm happy and they're happy, but when I'm not happy and they're happy, like <laughs> does it mean anything? Right. <laughs> but yeah. I don't. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. It's a big. It's a mystery. But I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad when people enjoy it anyway. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so what's coming up for you? What's yeah? You have the next symphony series is that the next thing yeah symphony's coming i'm doing a piece with southern oregon repertory singers which seems like a really cool piece um i just have listened to it once and this is the one that the timpani part looks like oh i think i'm gonna have to practice this one (laughs) (laughs) yeah actually on that concert also um left edge percussion is gonna cover the percussion parts so it should be should be pretty cool so yeah, there's that. I'm gonna play the Mozart Requiem pretty soon with the Ravelli Chorale. Mm. That should be nice, you know, Mozart. Whatever. Yeah. Um, no salsa till the summer, right? Yeah, salsa in the summertime. You should, you need to come to play more salsa with us. <laughs> that would be fun. But there is a project that's new that mm. we're embarking on. I hope in March, maybe. Yeah. So, are you familiar with this uh, group called the Apartment Sessions? No. So Tell this, me about it. This is a thing in New York. Okay. And <clears throat> I, I discovered them uh, through a friend who played the, the symphony, and he ended up going to L.A., started his own group, and he ended up doing something with these guys. And so suddenly they're on my radar. But <laughs> it's basically somebody, somebody, probably the composer, has an apartment in New York. It's not mm. a particularly large one. It's just a little apartment. But he stuffs an entire orchestra in there. <laughs> and sets up mics. Oh, I've heard, and, I have heard about this. Yeah. <laughs> and they do videos. So you're seeing, you know, you see like the bass player in the bathtub. That's where his, his the space is. He, you see, you know, you see everybody. <laughs> They've got cameras, you know, situated and people kind of walking through filming. But the thing that I really like about it, mm-hmm. um, one is that it's original music and it's kind of fun music. It's original music. Um, with interesting orchestration, like you'll see a little string quartet and you'll see a tuba and you'll see a bassoon and just, you know, whatever worked for that arrangement, I guess. But um, the thing that really puts it over the top for me is the video aspect because it's it's fun because you see those people having fun. (laughs) And, you know, the music is fun. Right. But it's so much more fun to see, and it's mostly young kids. I think they're probably like music conservatory kids sure. or people early in their careers. Yeah. And so they're they're good at their their instruments and they're having a good time. <laughs> and it's just fun to watch. And I've watched a lot of them. So we decided to do one here. And so, and I'd like to do a bunch of them. Like I would like to get in your house. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like you're sitting where the string section is going to be probably, or I don't know, maybe we'll put them out there, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, 
we've got the gear to do it. Sure. We've we've got more space than the guys in uh, New York. And there's a lot of talent here in the Rogue Valley. And there are composers here. And mm. the first one we're going to... And uh, like, there are so many people I would like to do this with. Like, I, I just have such big plans for this. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. The only problem is there's really no money in it. So we're trying to figure <laughs> that out. Like, we'll make... We'll, we're going to do it, but it's probably going to cost us some money. Mm -hmm. But uh, the first one we're going to do, Sean's brother, Gabe, um, he writes songs. Mm -hmm. He's a singer. Right. Really fine singer. Yeah. I might have heard him sing. Yeah, you Over might. Patties. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, um, so uh, he picked out one of his songs. He picked out a couple, and and we think one of them is is right for this. So Sean's already orchestrated it. It's so cool. <laughs> it is so. I love it. I love it so much, and I can see it already. Oh, and it's that's just awesome. gonna be fun. So yeah. So we're gonna, we're gonna. That's that's the next thing. So you're gonna set up video cameras and. Yeah. Are you gonna like live stream it? Or how are you going to do it? No, I think what we're going to do is we're going to set up a few stationary cameras to just get the whole room. We'll probably hire a videographer to kind of walk through. Um, we might just get people to bring their iPhones and just mm. say, "Let's." we're just going to set these on little stands aimed at your face so that we can, you know. And so we'll get as much video as we can. And then Sean's um, younger brother, Kelly, who lives in New York, is a video editor. That's what he does. <laughs> and he's really creative. Oh, he's sweet. done videos for us. So we're going to pull him into service and get him to cut together um, a cool little video. Wow. So that's... Is it going to be like a YouTube channel? Or what do you? how do you envision so delivering this? I think I'm going to start a Patreon account and a YouTube channel and probably do it there. Like, okay. I, what, what I'm kind of hoping to do is get other musicians who are have you know creative aspirations they want to do something mm -hmm. and maybe we have a consortium of people who are interested and we get we go out to all our folks who <laughs> like our music and say hey help us help us fund this right so we can pay musicians we don't need to make any money i just need sure. to pay the musicians <laughs> to come and play so um or maybe just feed them <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, we'll see. We'll see what we can, what, what people are willing to do. do I don't know. Do you know what you're going to call it? Do you have a name for it yet? No. Do you have a good idea? No, but I will think about yeah, it. Yeah, think about it. Think about it. <laughs> That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm really uh, excited to, to, to do this. So we've been talking about it for a while and finally got Sean. Sean did the, he finished the arrangement and he gave me the instrumentation list. So I've been going through and writing down my first picks for, you know, who we could people. get. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see if we can find a date also right. to get enough of these people. That'll be the challenge, I think, is finding a date that works for everybody. Right. That's a lot of people to yeah. corral. Yeah. This first one, I think it's only 17 people, but that is still, that's a lot. Of, and, you know, I want to get <laughs> sure. the best players I can get, who are, of course, the busy people. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. So I can't wait. Yeah. To see it and you, hear it. Well, you shouldn't say that because you might be I getting might a be call from us. <laughs> <That's> sure. <right. laughs> Do you have a Saturday afternoon free? Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. So so, so that's, on, that's what's on the horizon. Cool. So if you could go back in time to 25-year-old <laughs> Teresa, what would you say to her? What advice would you give to her about 
her music career or life oh, in general. Music. Or... I was going to say, don't wear the shoulder pads. <laughs> <laughs> and the big hair, you're going to regret that. <laughs> <laughs> Could be anything, but, you know. <laughs> well, um... What would you want to tell her? I think... 25-year-old Teresa. So many things I could tell that girl. (laughs) I think, though, I think maybe musically the thing I would probably say is um, uh, to be more willing to fail. Just just do it. Mm -hmm. It's all right. Be be willing to fail more. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. I mean, I think... You know, it's, you know, starting with Charles and mm-hmm. his all advice about, you know, don't, don't ever let him see you sweat, that kind of right. thing. You know, that, that can serve in a certain situation, but yeah. I think it, it kind of limits it's you. Limiting. Yeah, and I think that had I been a little less concerned about that, I think I would have um, progressed probably faster mm. than I did and maybe had some um, other experiences that I was maybe maybe shied away from. Mm-hmm. Have you told your daughters that? I think in a certain way I have. Like the words I use to them is I just say, you know, be fearless. Just do it. Just go ahead and do it. <laughs> right. That's awesome. I think that's a good place to close. Um, yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's oh, been thanks. It was so much fun. fun. Yeah, very fun. And I... I can't wait to see this this project come to life for you, and I also can't wait to uh, play again with you. Whenever. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be opportunities this year. We're gonna have to make some if there aren't yes, any. For sure, for sure. Awesome. Thanks, Teresa. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Playful Musician. I'm delighted you could be here. Would you like to get updates and behind-the-scenes information about The Playful Musician? Well, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There, you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter with all the good stuff. It's quick and easy to subscribe. And if you like the show, well, you're going to enjoy the newsletter as well. You can find show notes and links to everything talked about on the show on the website as well, and even get a preview of upcoming episodes. Again, check it out at theplayfulmusician.com. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, consider leaving a five-star rating. And I'd really love it if you could leave a review. It helps the show to get the wide audience it so deserves. Thanks so much. Have a great week, and I'll see you soon. Take care.